Welcome to Surrey's Greener Future. In these podcasts, we will identify ways where each and every one of us can do our bit to make a difference. We will also keep you updated about a number of local projects supported by Surrey County Council, which are designed to improve the environment. The Repair Café Conference I attended the Repair Café Conference, which was held at the University of Creative Arts in Farnham on March the 12th. This was just before lockdown. The day started with an introduction by Professor Martin Charter, the Director of Sustainable Design at the University. Today is the morning is more about information, so we're going to be reporting back on this latest global survey of repair cafes. Then there'll be a little bit of a survey from some work we did on our visitors, and then presenting some data. And then there'll be an opportunity to ask questions before we present the world's first tool that will be openly available to help repair cafes calculate their CO2 emissions associated with. We then go into a panel in the afternoon. Is then uh, we're going to have a series of discussions where it's more of an opportunity for you to share your knowledge and skills around what you found in repairing products, so that we can share in what's evolving, doing stuff on the ground. Following that uh, discussion around what we think policymakers should do to uh, encourage and set up more repair cafes. After Martin's introduction, we were addressed by Councillor Pat Evans, the Mayor of Farnham. I caught up with her recently and we talked about the importance of the repair cafe movement and the conference. I'm talking to Pat Evans, who's the Mayor of Farnham, about the Repair Café Conference that actually happened over three months ago, but it was just before lockdown, so things kind of went into abeyance. So, Madam Mayor, you were at the conference, you did one of the introductory speeches, welcoming people from all over Britain. Why do you see Repair Café as being important in Farnham? I think it's proved its importance already since it's been in existence and it's held in the Spire Church, who, with the Town Council, are in collaboration with the Repair Café. It has received more than 3,000 people through its doors. The repairs that they've completed have been in excess of 1,300. The repair rate is 65%. It's well recognised, it's very well supported, and when is there, one finds that there is a queue outside waiting to get in. And when I was there recently, it was recently, it's months ago, isn't it? It was raining, it was not a good day, but still it was completely supported. It's because of its environmental value, I think, to Farnham, 
um, the public benefit uh, through the promotion of repair and reuse of products as a means of preventing and minimizing waste disposal. It means that people can bring items to be repaired, a great cross-section of things. It saves them money. It boosts the local economy. And, of course, it's in collaboration with the Centre for Sustainable Design at the university. They bring their expertise to it. That expertise is passed on to the local community. So there are all those aspects, but I also think that the community effect that it has, of course, there's a coffee bar down there. People come down, they meet with people, they talk, there is a feeling of of community. So I think for so many different reasons, the Repair Cafe, which is a worldwide operation, and yes, that conference that day was for representatives throughout this country, but one of its main speakers was from the School of Social and Behavioural Sciences in Rotterdam. So I think it provides all of those benefits uh, to Farnham and really have become quite a way of life. Were you impressed with the number of people who actually attended that conference? I was indeed, and I think there were traffic problems that day, and people still came, and they were all experiencing very different things, uh, the towns that they came from. They had an item on key issues related to development, management and organisation, and they had a panel discussion. I spoke to people surrounding me, and yes, they had come from all over the country, And it started at 10 o'clock in the morning, and they got themselves there, even with travel problems. So I was very impressed indeed. I was also very impressed by the calibre of the knowledge and how it was working in their communities. I was very impressed. The things which are brought can be electrical, electronics, their clothing, their mechanicals, their bicycles. You name it, it comes in for repair. So it's very broad bush. Well, thank you very much for those words on the Repair Café. I'm very sorry that I couldn't be there with you physically today, but it was also discipline difficult for us to arrange. So this is, I guess, the next best thing. Uh, my name is Walter Specking. I am currently an assistant professor at the Erasmus University of Rotterdam. However, at the time of doing the survey, we have co-authored a report that should be publicly available online. I won't have time to go through all the results of the survey today, so I do recommend you to go see the report. This year's survey builds on two previous surveys that were completed by the Centre for Sustainable Design. We repeat some of the questions of the previous surveys, but this year's survey has a stronger focus on organisational issues such as the legal structure of repair cafes and the way that they are led. We received 302 responses to our survey, of which seven appear to be duplicates. And with that I mean to say that uh, a few of the responses we had appear to be from different people from the same repair cafe. In this presentation and in the report, I included all the responses, even though some of the responses from people from the same repair cafe were slightly different, This might reflect different opinions of people in the same repair cafe or 
different understandings of the parts of the repaying phase. So the survey was completed with a limited amount of uh, resources, which is why we chose to go this way. And which is also the reason why we decided not to rerun the survey in Belgium after we found out that they were missing. We primarily received responses from Germany, the Netherlands and France, and then uh, some other countries where we received a fair amount of response from Great Britain, the United States and Canada. So we see a quite strong presence in Western Europe, which is of course not very surprising given the origins of the repair cafes. And in general we also see a strong, stronger presence of repair cafes, I would say, in the Western world, because repair cafes primarily address Western problems, you could say, like the cultural waste and the decline of skills required to perform repairs. We also wanted to see if there's any kind of relationship between the age of the repair cafes and other characteristics of repair cafes, such as the way that they are set up, the legal structure, the way that they are being led, how large they are. We do not find anything like that that indicates that there's uh, some kind of maturing over time going on. We do, of course, see differences between repair cafes, but those differences seem to be a consequence of different choices, more that people make about how to set up their repair cafes, rather than something that sort of indicates that some repair cafes are more mature than others. You will see very quickly that community buildings are by far the most popular kind of venue. Organizing a repair cafe session once a month is the most common frequency. But we do also see repair cafes that uh, organize sessions more frequently or less frequently. We see that most repair cafes have somewhere between 7 to 20 volunteers. However, we also have quite a few repair cafes that have 41 or more volunteers. If we then look at the visitors that typically attend the repair cafe session, or the number of visitors, we see that the typical numbers are somewhere between 11 to 30 visitors. However, also here we see quite a few repair cafes that have more than that, so there's quite a few that have more than 50. Our respondents most often said that they see around 11 to 30 products in a typical repair cafe session. But we also see that there are quite a few repair cafes that see more products than that in a typical session. We even have around 15 repair cafes that say that they see more than 80 products in a typical session. And we typically find these repair cafes in the US and Canada. We also asked our respondents to indicate how many products that are brought in for a repair in a typical session are successfully repaired. And then we see quite clearly that most of our respondents indicated that three out of five products are successfully repaired. So we see that the majority of our respondents indicated that the repair cafe was founded by either a motivated individual or by an informal group of motivated individuals. The legal structure of repair cafes, due to different legal systems across different countries, we ended up using quite a simple category that says our repair cafe has a legal status, for example, a cooperative, an association, a trust, or a charity. And the other answers were either that there's no legal status or that the repair cafe exists as a project within a larger initiative. This is about data collection and sharing. So we asked our respondents how their repair cafe collects data about products that are being brought in for repair. And we also asked our respondents uh, to what extent your data are shared with other repair cafes and or with the Repair Cafe International Foundation. So if you first look, uh, focus on uh, data collection, the repair cafes collect data in some form. 
However, if you look at to what extent data are shared, you see that that they don't share data about products with other backpacks or with the Backpack International Foundation. The top two difficulties here, which are attracting younger visitors and attracting younger volunteers. So here you see that it is an issue that Repack Pays experience quite some difficulty with. We asked our respondents what actions their Repack Pays uh, take to involve people from younger generations. And in our report, we also included an extended list of things that people mentioned that were not in our own list. Uh, and that could be quite an interesting source of inspiration. We see that many repair cafes try to actively recruit younger volunteers from their community or and or encourage volunteers to bring children to the repair cafe sessions. Here I would like to highlight just one element about the Repair Cafe community that I find particularly interesting. Which is that on the one hand, the Repair Cafe community is a large collection of local initiatives that primarily make a difference locally, but that on the other hand, there's a sense that these local initiatives are part of something bigger that goes way beyond the boundaries of the local initiative. We also see that it is fairly common for Repair Cafes to have interactions with each other, and that it is also fairly common to be a member of a regional national network of Repair Cafes. That sometimes makes me wonder if more can be done with that sense of being part of something bigger. And if it would be possible, for example, to mobilize that sense of community for activities at a different scale, a super-local scale, such as engaging more systematically with industry, consumer organizations, ad or policy makers, to lobby for increased repairability and longevity of products. The conference continued with a number of informative talks about various aspects of running repair cafes. What we decided to do at our summer is to do a very specific survey around visitors specifically. What we did is that we emailed those that we had emails for. We asked for a response. Uh, we went through a whole process of that uh, area. You'll see two, two elements to this. And one element is around repair. So this fits in a wider uh, initiative and, and indeed yesterday in the Circular Economy Action Plan that the European Commission uh, published, the right to repair is going to be uh, pushed more strongly within Europe. This is also being featured more strongly in the Environment Bill uh, within the UK. We're 58 sessions ourselves down the line with our, in our repair cafe activities and we've had nearly 3,000 people through our program. What we've had is a very strong focus on recording data and information. We have an older demographic, at least in our repair cafe, and that, that very much uh, aligns with other experiences as well. A lot of retired, and to some extent, uh, semi-retired and employed people. So it's a older demographic, you know, more people, uh, you know, um, and often, uh, you know, the people that, uh, uh, the two key groups of people that are attending are those types of people who, uh, you know, generally want to do a little bit more uh, in terms of their environmental activities in the community. So they're, they're looking for initiatives to engage with, engage their time. So, and in terms of information, you know, what we have is, that, although we use a lot of different communication mechanisms ourselves, we have, you know, that comes from hard-nosed experience in running a lot of initiatives across, you know, SMEs and also other things over the years, 
what we find is our strongest source of communication, word of mouth. The most visited stations are electrical and electronics. So the, always the issue is, again, for startups, you know, thinking about getting insurance in place for venue and product liability. Very important. Because the day you don't have it, the day you have, maybe have a problem. The key motivation was, and I think this aligns and we need to think about the demographics, and then align to that younger generation demographic, is people don't want to waste their products. They don't want to put stuff in the waste stream. So if there's something there to help people repair stuff, particularly in certain product categories, they're very motivated by that. But maybe that's very much aligned to the older demographic. So you've still got this issue around fast fashion, fast electronics, fast consumption, in millennials and Generation Z. So there is a strategic issue around this sort of intergenerational issue. It's still actually phenomenal to me that it says with the skills and knowledge in the communities that products can be repaired, despite them not being designed for repairability or recyclability or dismantleability. The knowledge and skills are sitting within communities to do that. And I don't think the policy makers have understood this and we need to maintain those skills and knowledge. Why, why worry about carbon? Well, I think actually, more recently, it's been very much in the public consciousness. There's more activism, more people aware of climate change and the fact that carbon is being added to the atmosphere is increasing more severe weather events. So if you can actually have some metric by which you can actually show the benefit of your repair cafe in terms of what it's doing for the environment, then I think that's good, good for PR. And it's also potentially good if you're looking for funding, maybe from a local authority, because you've got some data and some way of actually conveying the fact that you're good for the community and good for the wider environment. How do repair cafes actually help when it comes to carbon? Well, obviously when you're repairing things and people aren't going out and buying new products, you're displacing the manufacture of those new products. And the problem with anything that anybody goes out and buys is that those, those products are being manufactured using energy from fossil fuels. So I've got a few examples of things that uh, we repair on a fairly regular basis. So just to give you an idea about the amount of carbon that's taken to manufacture those products and also the carbon intensity, so that is the amount of CO2 equivalent that's being produced for every kilogram of that product that you end up repairing. So if we look at a bicycle, to manufacture a bicycle, that creates about 150 kilograms of carbon dioxide. And that works out about 10 kilograms for every kilogram of, of bike. Textiles are about uh, 17 uh, kilograms per pair of trousers, and that works out about 33 kilograms for every kilogram of textiles that we repair. Electrical products, so a kettle typically contains about 32 kilograms of CO2. The iPad may contain about 290 kilograms of CO2. So that gives you an idea why these products actually can repair them are particularly beneficial in terms of uh, displacing uh, carbon dioxide that occurs during manufacture. Over half the products that repair cafes repair don't actually require the use of any spare parts. I don't think it's absolutely brilliant because that means that those products you know, manufacturers aren't having to have warehouses full of spare parts and get used. And also, another figure is 17% of products that repair cafes repair is not actually a fault. It's something that doesn't understand the product, or it's just simple maintenance. 
So there's a lot of things that you can repair without having access to spare parts. I think this is something that people worry about, particularly the starting repair pathway. One of the things that tends to happen is you have to consider the fact that when you're offering a free repair service to people, people save money. So as a result of that saving, do people then go out and buy themselves some goodies? And I think the answer to that is yes, they do. So if you think you've you know, put 500 pounds aside for a new CV and somebody fits it for near, near free, you might go and treat yourself to a you know, cream bun and nice cup of coffee. And that does happen, and that you have to consider in terms of offsetting the amount of benefit you just get from the body carbon that you save with the manufacturer's uh, emissions. So, who's the online calculator for? It's really set up for any repair cafe. Either you just have the most basic data about the number of repairs that you have and how many of those have been successful. And by successful, I mean that it's actually working. It's not partial, it has to be a successful repair and that you know, the customer's completely happy to take it home and use it. And there are two versions of the calculator available. And it's an online calculator, it's not an app that you download. So you'll be able to go to the web page and simply you'll see the calculator there. And we've got two versions, there's a quick calculator and a standard calculator. Think about if we're going to look at ensuring that repair cafes continue, and also that we stimulate more repair cafe activity in, in you know, whether it's at a district, a borough, or a you know, city or town level, uh, or even in a, in a national context, what do we need to do and what policy makers need to get engaged with that? So who are the policy makers that need to be engaged with that? I'll leave you up to you to think who, who the policy makers are. And, and then to think about what, what action needs to be taken by those policy makers to make repair cafes flourish in the UK. During the lunch break, I had the opportunity to interview a couple of the delegates. I'm talking with Peter Waller about his experiences of Repair Café. Peter, how long have you been doing it? Well, we've only done two Repair Cafés. The first one was in September last year, and the second one was in February this year. And whereabouts are these Repair Cafés that you're doing? We use St Helens Church in Alveston. Alveston's a little village just north of Bristol. Uh, and we, uh, we booked the church for a, a Saturday morning between 10 o'clock and 1 p.m. And I have a group of volunteers who uh, come along. There's about, and any one event, probably about 17 to 20 of them. Uh, we advertised for people to bring things in, and uh, amazingly, they all appear at the door of the church. And uh, we've, we've, done, we've had a lot of fun, and we've done some good repairs. How easy was it to set up? Well, there's obviously quite a lot of work, and you have to think about the, uh, the advertising, you have to think about getting the volunteers and the process for control of the work. Um, but there are lots of other people who've started the, these things, and uh, there's lots of advice available from others who've done it. 
Uh, so actually, it wasn't too difficult. Uh, what I thought would be difficult would be getting the volunteers. But actually, I thought if I could get five people, it would be worth starting. At the end of my first day of asking people, I had 20. What was the best bit of doing it? Well, I think the fun. When I set out to do this, I thought the things I want to achieve is I want to reduce the number of things to get thrown away because I hate throwing things away. It really annoys me. I wanted to help people to share skills so that people come along and they learn skills and they teach other people their skills. But the third thing, and most important, was for having fun. And it has been. It's been a lot of fun. And what was the hardest bit of it? Well, I think probably the hardest bit is controlling the work in a way that isn't uh, too officious, but, but works when the, when the pressure's on. We had the last event was on the day of the, uh, the storm, Dennis uh, storm that came through. And I thought we wouldn't get many people, but in the end we had 75 people through the door. And the system that we operated, which is, which is sort of booking people in on a, on a reception desk and then uh, giving the jobs out to the appropriate individuals, almost broke down because of the pressure of the queue at the door. But we managed to get through it, and it did work. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. I'm with Michael, and Michael, why are you here today? So I'm here to learn basically how to run a repair cafe. We, one of the 12 initiatives we are hoping to run within the Ellenbridge Community Eco Hub, uh, a new CIC opening up in Walton-on-Thames. What have you found out today? But it isn't going to be as easy as I thought. There's uh, a lot of structure and detail that has to go into. There's a lot of data that people want to collect with regards to the quality and quantity of items being repaired, the money that is being saved uh, uh, as a result of these repairs, and indeed the carbon dioxide equivalents that the repairs are, are saving um, from the alternative of buying uh, a new replacement product. And has some of the information they've put together surprised you? Not so much. Not so much. I'm not shy of hard work. So the information that we're given is it isn't going to be easy. It's just accepting the challenge, really, of that doing a repair cafe is, 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 is not going to be overly easy. Getting the front desk sorted out is probably going to be the first challenge, really. Organising who does what, where and when. Uh, and not overloading the repairers themselves with paperwork per se as they're there to repair and fix, not do paperwork. I was fascinated by the CO2 statistic that said that if you save the person money then they'll go and spend a pound and that's... Yes, you think you can self-congratulate by going out and having a coffee and a, a, a donut, I think they suggested. And maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't be doing that. It needs to be offset by other ways of taking a larger donation, I think was suggested. Um, no, I, I think uh, part of the message, perhaps, is it's not just about financial benefit, it's about ecological benefit. So if, if you are offsetting or you make people aware that by repairing their item you're offsetting the carbon, please don't go and... You know, splash that money that we've just saved you uh, in, uh, in in the local cafe on uh, buns that have been imported from France and coffee from Costa Rica. Do you think this fits with your other initiatives? I think it fits very, very well, actually. Within the Eco Hub, we will be opening a library of things, a baby bank providing used clothing and hardware for families who are struggling, a community fridge, community repaint, litter picking initiatives, plastic free Walton will be based there as well. 
skill shares and repair and, and indeed the repair cafe so it fits very much with our ecological and community ethos by getting people engaged um, in particular young people and giving people opportunity and, and just trying to change the mindset of repair rather than replace and, and, and that isn't just about fixing things it's, it, it goes across all aspects of our life taking it back a couple of generations even to what our parents and grandparents used to do and take for granted thank you very much You can hear the hubbub behind me. It's a speed and networking part of the agenda where people are going to talk to people they don't know about repair cafes. I'm going to see if I can get in on one or two of the conversations. I'm with Malcolm from Ashford in Kent, who's here at the Repair Cafe Conference. Malcolm, how did you get involved? Well, we run a charity that took over an environment centre, and one of the trustees had an idea of having a what he called an R&R organisation, Repair and Reuse, which I think we, we didn't really know about repair cafes at the time. We found that joining up with the Repair Cafe organisation actually got us started so it was very very useful our parish clerk did some investigations found it in holland sent off for the pack and we've just grown from there i'm with leonard from ashford in kent now leonard how did it all start all started with some local parish councillors wishing to set up a repair group of some sort just sent a message out on facebook and about 10 people turned up some of us stayed and that was really the beginning. And how long ago was that? That was just over a year ago. So you got together, formed a repair cafe. How many have you had so far? It's twice a month and sometimes uh, on a Saturday, which is always busy. What type of premises do you use? Well, we're lucky in that we've been provided with a small workshop, which is two shipping containers that are bolted together and all kitted out nicely. Got uh, sink and, and all the facilities there for us and we can leave all of our tools and customers items locked away safely from that point of view it's it's very very good it's also we don't pay any money for the hire and we get supplied tea and coffee and free electricity and heating so we've got zero running costs based on the discussion earlier are you insured yes because we come under the the owner's liability insurance so we are fully insured we have double checked that how many volunteers do you have on an average day coming in to repair Um, we normally have about 10 of various different levels and have there been any really special moments well we've been asked to repair various odd items at the moment we're heavily into repair in a 1960 jukebox from america which has proven interesting because somebody has already tried to repair it and made it worse Oh dear. And what made you come here today? It was one of the parish councillors saw it on the internet somewhere uh, and hoped that we would learn about running the repair cafe because we are quite small compared to a majority of them. Well, thank you very much. I'm with Beth from Hampshire County Council who's come along today all the way from Winchester. Beth, why have you come? I've come along today because Hampshire County Council has set up a few repair cafes through our Waste Prevention Community Grant Fund in the past and I'm really interested to hear about all the different challenges and successes that repair cafes have experienced across the country at this great event. What have you learnt so far? I've learned that there are a lot of different ways of approaching repair cafes, although you all 
lots of them seem to experience the same sort of barriers and challenges. So it's really interesting to see how lots of different people have um, addressed those different barriers and challenges. One of the things that has struck me is that how some go from recording everything to others go to recording nothing. Did you find that interesting? I did. There was a very uh, very wide range of opinions and ways of doing things, which I guess is always going to be the way when you've got lots of um, sort of different and diverse communities running the same idea. But the, the general idea is absolutely great and it's so enthusing to see so many different communities and people sort of running with the idea. Well, thank you very much. I'm with Barbara. How long have you been involved with Repair Cafes? Um, approximately three years. Started as a welcome volunteer um, and now organise the volunteers and the fixers who's available each month. Um, organise the Facebook page of putting posts out to try to get as known in the wider community because that's the most important thing. People still say, oh, I didn't know there was a Repair Café. What do you think the challenges are to actually getting the concept and the fact there is a repair cafe in your locality known? We found social media the best option. Putting out posts and then sharing it onto other Facebook sites um, where a lot of people visit. Um, and that seems to have helped us spread the message about the repair cafe the most. How many people come along on average when you run an event? We're quite small, so I think the most we've had is 30 people who probably maybe brought 60 to 90 repairs in, because some of them mean two or three repairs. We're just having to limit them that they can have one thing repaired before they can have the second thing repaired. <laughs> but we have only got a small group of volunteers as fixers. So we're now at 10 fixers, and our space is quite small, so really... Space-wise, we can only accommodate six or seven fixers. Where do you get space? It's within a retail shop. So at the moment, we're operating from a pop-up shop, which houses things that the charity who set us up do recycling. So they have old bits of furniture which they upcycle and then sell on. Um, And we use their pop-up shop once a month on a Saturday. You must enjoy doing it. I think it's important to try to, you know, get things repaired and not just throw away. We can't keep filling landfill. And some of the stuff, yes, it can be recycled by being burnt, but if we can repair it, that's the best way to go forward. And some things are sentimental value, and people want to repair because it's sentimental value. What's been the best moment? Oh, gosh, I've no idea. No, I can't think of the best moment. I think it's always a best moment when something comes in that doesn't work and goes out working, no matter what it is. Well, thank you very much. The last part of the afternoon was the two feedback sessions, reporting on the group discussions. Is we should be sitting at the table or in a group. Basically, what we'd like you to do is to firstly, you know, somebody to, to chair the group and maybe kick off with whatever experience you have over particular repairs on your table, and then really just get into a discussion. 
really it's, it's an opportunity to network and share your knowledge. about was actually sometimes you repair something with a plug but actually the repair you do is a mechanical repair so how do you categorize that that's quite quite difficult and a lot of repairs that seem to these gentlemen here end up doing that mechanical repairs are often down to maintenance so something's not been looked after properly so there's a lot of oiling and dusting and cleaning out and this this falls onto a conversation really about how people don't feel empowered to take stuff apart and oil it and clean it themselves and then we talked about the sort of things that you really need to have when you're doing mechanical repairs. 3D printing. What we need to do is to re-engineer a product, not just replicate a broken piece. And the key skill needed was um, drawing visualisation skills rather than computing or building things. Models for the 3D printing, you can download those um, SDL files from libraries and we also felt it might be useful to create a library from the repair campus in particular to upload bits that we found commonly used repairs, uh, vacuum cleaner parts for example are fairly common. The major benefit of having a 3D printer available is you can create mementos. Uh, juniors like watching things like that, uh, taking part in that, so it can increase the participation. They can also act as publicity items. Having a printer available does increase your repair rate slightly, which things that wouldn't otherwise have been repairable, and therefore reduces waste. But there should be uh, disclaimers, signed disclaimers, and possibly built in to the product to say that uh, this product does have lower temperature than perhaps the original part would have melted at. It may not be as strong, it may not be as safe. Various small amounts of things. One of the most interesting things we just did discuss is how far do repairers go in repairing things? Uh, there's social interaction, there's, there's sharing a skill, and how do they overlap within the cafe? Members of our cafe should be identifiable. That it's always necessary to have labels for people to make sure that you know who's whom. Our non-repair volunteers are important. We talked about how do we recognise unmet need in the community, so such as sharpening tools. So we said we need to listen to our visitors, we need to ask them what else they'd like to see, and then we need to try and offer it. But you obviously need people who feel competent and confident to do that. We talked about how you reach hard-to-reach groups. One cafe represented here is doing a dementia-friendly cafe one month. We talked about people not being mobile and whether we could get kind of community transport to get people to the cafe. We spent quite a while on venue because there's a lot of issues with venues and it's one of the sort of key things. We talked around accessibility, we talked about sound levels, we talked about whether there's outside space or not. We talked about Wi-Fi, electric points, extension leads, but then having to take them, all those sort of health and safety issues. Storage issues was quite a big thing. We talked about repairers having their own tools, whether they did or not. And we talked about students who might be developing skills but haven't yet got their own tools. Someone brought up an in interesting point about working with a voluntary organisation that supplies skills training for people with learning disabilities. And these organisations have a venue that they don't then use at the weekends but that are very kitted out because they teach those kind of skills and maybe that could be a suitable venue at the weekends for a repair cafe. Hi, so our remit was bicycles. First thing, bikes are good. The message is, get people onto bikes. Because if not using the bikes, then there's no bikes to repair or maintain. Bike repairs have to be part of a wider network of diverse 
networking or repairers. So we don't want to be treading on the toes of anyone working in, in the bike shops. Meeting expectation is key. Any bicycle that comes in, we're not guaranteeing that the bicycle is going to be 100% when it leaves, but it's going to be better than when it came in. And I think that is the message that needs to be given out to the customer at the end of the day. Um, we came up with a suggestion of a leaflet of safety checks that could be given to um, people as they leave with their bike just recommending that they, they do these checks regularly themselves. There's some divergence on agreement of whether or not people repairing bikes should or should not have insurance. I think the consensus at our table is that yes. And we were discussing how we would engage with children, perhaps encouraging or inviting schools or youth clubs or guides and scouts to come in and have junior bike fixing or maintaining events. We kind of agreed that electronics and electrical devices can be a little bit scary for some people and that some visitors are a little reluctant to participate in the repair. We also identified a number of common devices that we see in our repair cafes and events, so toasters, lamps, sewing machines, like food cleaners, record players, food processors. But we noticed that a lot of the common repairs we were talking about weren't actually that complicated. So some of them were really quite simple, like cleaning the filter of a vacuum cleaner clothing is our brief and we had a variety of experiences um, some people are still virgins with the repair cafe but getting on with it we identified the most common repair was zips but it varied because if you went to a university it was more likely to be rich jeans and torn coats <laughs> learn to say no to alterations Someone spoke of the experience of someone turning up with a great bag of charity stuff, expecting them to be fitted. Adding in how-to workshops, threading a sewing machine, how to sew on a button or darning. All those things have been tried and found to be very successful. It's very important to get the person's agreement to any changes you might be affecting to their garment. And someone suggested that you're able to recommend local tailoring services, which carries on with the bicycle and the electricals, so that you're not actually taking someone's living away. And I found that some people are just waiting for permission to throw something away. <laughs> A lot of repairs have an emotional context to them. I'll stand up in the corner. Right, so we are the final table. We are also electrical and electronic, like the table over there. So our first point is a lot of electrical appliances need special triangular shapes, star shape, oval shaped screws that you need special tools for. Anna on our table told a story of someone who made a tool to get deep into a hole, and this tool literally travelled the world from repair cafe to repair cafe being used. We talked about mobile phones and things that can be fixed commercially and therefore we shouldn't really touch product documentation, circuit diagrams, service manuals. Obviously, you can use the internet for that and YouTube videos that we've talked about, but that's quite a key, a key source of information. When you're disassembling a very complex piece of equipment or something like a camera or whatever it is, you can use something like a memory mat or even a, a block of polystyrene to, to locate the screws as you take them out and take plenty of photos as you're disassembling something so you can work out how to put it all back in the same order afterwards. I think we might as well just for time so we can bring it in to close at five o'clock and just stay in your groups.
So, action plan. We've said uh, that repair cafes should be part of the local council waste strategy, meaning that before, even, you know, at the most extreme, before tips accept waste, they say, have the repair cafe reviewed this and you know, tried to replace it or fix it. And then potentially there's an, option for, uh, an opportunity for a sale there. If we can fix something, it could be sold at the tip as a part of a tip shop. So maybe council recycling centres should have mandatory tip shops for things that have been or can be repaired. The council should have a dedicated, well, we've called it repair cafe liaison or promoter or evangelist, whatever. Repairability, I've written repairability standards, parts availability and support. I think that's more from the manufacturer. The manufacturer should have a, a commitment to make things repairable and maybe if their if their intellectual property has expired that that then goes into the public domain so that other people can take on the maintenance and support of it if it's if it's software based or something like that yeah entire you know the product should have a minimum life expectancy which is obviously more than the guarantee if if we ever move to something like a repair shop on a high street and we were saying in the old days we're all we're all probably of an age where we might remember the corner shop that would fix your shaver and that sort of thing they should be given ta- tax breaks, like a charity shop has. So there's a discount on rates, and that might promote the establishment of repair shops. And that, conversely, then goes back to the first thing, that you know, has a repair shop signed off this as being a, you know, genuine waste before it goes into the, uh, the landfill system. The District Council, in our case, is actually particularly useful for social media publicity, if you can find the right person to send your publicity to. But, and also, district is useful for the potential for having a shop on the high street. And we were thinking that being in the centre of town would be absolutely excellent. County. The waste recycling team seems to be the uh, place to tap. Repair cafes fall naturally into this area. So using the resource available and also influencing the policy coming from county. Thinking particularly about the CO2 figures that we're all going to be logging, we're going to pub- publicise this and um, the baseline data for reuse as well. Not quite sure who we're going to publicise it to, but we thought we would get some leverage from it in all the press releases that we release. Looking at what manufacturers are doing, we were wondering about a sumer boycott, particularly of fast fashion. Um, and of poorly repairable items would be a very good one. And we were thinking of zips again. Charity shops and vintage shops definitely have their space. They are to be encouraged. We were looking at the consumer magazine Witch and wondering if they would add repairability as one of their options. And then we have notice of a website called Good On You, which again is something to do with fashion. I think this is something worth looking up. We were considering the idea of space for a library of things and also a hub for storage of items to be repaired. At the moment, our model is such that we have to have the owner sitting next to the item. If the person who is trying to get rid of an item wants to pass it on, we don't say yes. But it would be great if we could, and if those items were then sent to somewhere like Sanctuary Towns, for instance, which would then go on to the refugees who come in with absolutely nothing 
and are not given any money. We noted that there is a reuse and repair map in Hampshire. And last point, TerraCycle. They are not reusing, they are recycling. They're the guys who are collecting the Walkers' Crisp packets and you have to send them off in boxes of several thousand, flat, packed. UK Government, Manchester Declaration. This is something that repair cafes and restarters signed, uh, created two years ago. Google it, sign it, send it to your MP, promote it. EU Commission, there was a Guardian article today about the policy on smartphones and making them repairable. Go to repair.eu and sign the petition there. There's also repair.com, which is the US activity on repairability. Local government councils, well, a lot of councils have declared climate emergencies. It should be a easy shoe in to say, tie repairability to climate emergency. I think a lot of councils have declared it and now they think saying, what the heck do we do next? Support from companies, companies are to put it mildly, looking to greenwash their activities. Let's jump on that bandwagon and offer ourselves as a, a way of greenwashing their products. We shouldn't just consider carbon dioxide, but we need to, to look at the wider impact of, on the environment of uh, activities. We talked a lot about cobalt and rare earths and things like that. So a fair few of the points have already been covered. And we talked about the need for products to be designed for repair. Spares need to be available and a timeline around how long you'd expect them to be available for. We talked about kind of Fairphone and the issues of their first model where every people expects to be able to repair them and, and change components, but the components were no longer available. Um, we also talked about the need for interchangeability and more standardization around components. For example, the screws that came up earlier and I think it's much wider than that. Consumers need the right to repair without invalidating their warranties for simple repairs. More easily accessible information about how to maintain and repair items. We talked about perhaps the need for something in the education system, like basic skills taught to children while they're at school. Disposal. Perhaps something around the disposal, uh, where the manufacturer is liable for the cost of disposal of items. It might incentivise them to change their behaviour and increase the longevity of the um, product, whereas now they make money from selling a new product and don't make anything from maintaining things. Policy Force, Friends of the Earth, plan for governments, including Repair Cafe, is a good thing and is of interest. Policy need, so probably local councils, provisions of accessible space at reasonable cost for repair cafes. European government, right to repair legislation, that's important. Actions, there's a Repair Cafe pack at repaircafe.org for schools and colleges. Medi, don't end it, signs at recycling centres. A need for a national repair cafe group, probably, possibly, with some funding. This table looked at a whole series of issues. Um, one of the significant ones being resources and things that other people have said, space, equipment, insurance, publicity, awareness, training and data sharing being one of the key things. On insurance, it seems a nonsense that there's such a wide variation in amounts that people are paying. And if you have a national body, then you're in a much better place um, to argue um, for a collaborative insurance policy with one of the bigger insurers. Some insurers are quite good at that. We have experience of some town and parish councils actually treating repair cafe 
volunteers as volunteers under the council insurance policy, uh, providing the normal expectations of the um, processes that are followed um, be vetted by the insurer. So that's another way of, of actually getting support at a very local level. There's a lot around well-being and isolation. So repair cafes need to look at the local strategic priorities and show how the work that you're doing at a local level is fitting in with the priorities because that then unleashes resources. County councils and district councils are not going to have any government grants at all from 2021. Business rates will no longer be payable to county councils and district councils. So there are now a lot of buildings that are being offset um, to lose liabilities. Links into central government, and we've talked about a number of different policy areas, there are all-party parliamentary groups. And if there's a national body, then you could actually get an all-party parliamentary group to raise the profile and the awareness, and therefore lobby for the sorts of things that um, we've all been talking about. In terms of um, isolation, uh, obviously there are some older people who've got quite a lot of skills, skills that don't exist these days and they can be brought back into active fulfilment by being part of a local repair cafe and solving more than one um, objective at the same time. The training of young people is a cliche. Young people are our future. I've had a mobile phone since I was four, uh, 15 and we are almost trained that it is a disposable item, which is absolutely ridiculous. On average, a, a person has about five mobile phones in their drawer. Technology we see is obsolete, but it doesn't mean it's not working. How can we utilise and reskill and looking at courses that can be run in schools and also how you can reuse your laptop in ways you wouldn't imagine. Getting on the side of right to repair, using those national networks as well. And it's quite interesting hearing all these different views of right to repair, but just kind of getting together so we can lobby these things at a, a kind of a government level and employing what is in place already, um, such as the Restarters Community, Repair Cafe UK, Hubbub. There are all these different places. And RAP, that's another example. There are all these different places you could, we could utilise in order to be heard as repair methods. This podcast has been produced by the Mr T Podcast Studio as part of Surrey's Greener Future programme. Please use this material to help inform others.